Dan and Corey here, welcoming you in to Libservative. I had to sh- turn the computer off and then like, reboot it. He's gone. And I'm in here going, no, no. <laughs> Welcome to Libservative. He's Corey Walsh. He is Dan Griffin. And we have a pretty exciting show tonight, I'd say. We have a show for you that is going to blow your socks off. Probably not. I don't think it's any better than any of the rest of them. However, it's still the show. We want to make thinking sexy again because why, Corey? It's hard to think for yourself when you let the corporatists do it for you. Uh, I did want to start with this, though, tonight, Corey, because we, we, we kind of glossed over this because it's really easy to gloss over this because it's super fucking boring. <laughs> We're probably going to gloss over it again, which is the uh, Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Everybody's heard of it. Ghislaine Maxwell was the uh, the fuck buddy of uh, uh, Joffrey Epstein. Or no, he's not a Joffrey. He's a J, right? He's a Jeffrey. Jeffrey. He's a Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's uh, she helped a pedo was likely a well not likely she was a pedo herself but yeah, was she a pedo, pedo or was she kind of talked into being a pedo by jeffrey epstein because he had so much power are you trying to sympathize why are you <laughs> defending pedophiles dan yeah, why are you defending pedophiles god damn it bobby no i think i'm gonna stop using like a southern accent for st- like assuming that people are stupid I think we I'm talked gonna, about that actually, didn't we? Yeah, I'm going to start using. So why do we always immediately go to a southern accent? I think I'm going to start using a, like a like a midwestern woman, like from Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin, Minnesota. I'd have to watch Fargo again, but a nice Minnesota accent would be fun. Daniel, are you defending pedophiles? <laughs> Daniel, look at this. <laughs> He's defending or defending pedophiles on Facebook again. So, right, if we talk about the the. Ghislaine Maxwell trial? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's the deal, Corey. I think you agree with me on this. This is so boring because nobody's going to get what they actually want out of this trial. Because it's it's a, it's about Ghislaine Maxwell and it's about it's about Jeffrey Epstein. And I think yeah. I, I don't think you're going to get anything that's going to say that, that that's that's really going to incriminate people like Bill Clinton or Donald Trump or Bill Gates or Prince Andrew out of this trial at all. I think the only way that that actually happens is if you have credible victims that come forward with credible stories. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They're keeping the scope on it very, very narrow. Um. Uh, like when it comes to like her, like they're not really like they're mentioning people they've seen on the planes, you know, at the behest of uh, the cutards. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, they're not like they're definitely not like following any of these trails. Like <clears throat> the pilots mentioned, who was it? Was it Prince? Oh, I always forget the prince. Andrew. Prince Andrew. Yes, yeah. I was, that's what I was gonna say. Actually, Prince Andrew, Donald Trump. Bill Gates, all these people, these pilots are like, yeah, they were on the plane, but that's where it's ending. There's no follow up from what from what we've seen. Like, there's a silly rule when it comes to federal courts that like you can't necessarily like record in the courtroom. Uh, like, 
when I'm US on USA Today and it says cameras not allowed during just J- Glade Maxwell trial. So the reason why they're allowed in like in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial was because that was a state case. Correct. But I believe with federal cases, um, you're not allowed to share video. Now I'm looking to... Or, or photographs. You're not even allowed to photograph in the courtroom. Yeah, or photograph. It's why they have all yeah. those goofy paintings. Yep. <laughs> they always have those weird... Think? This thing is so, like, outside of some pilots, some chefs, probably some fluffers, saying that, you know, high-powered people were on the plane or on the island or seen around, we're, we're not going to get anything else. Now, is that incriminating? Is that incriminating? I mean, there's I- even a photo... There's even a photo... Uh, sorry to cut you off. There's... Two photos circulating in tandem together. One is of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell at a log cabin. Now, that log cabin is owned by the Queen yes. of Great Britain. Yes, yes. And there's a photo of her at the same cabin. But even with photos like that, like the paper trail is there. It's just not going to be pursued. And it's a shame. I would love to see this all get taken down. And it's frustrating that the Q-tards, they actually did create a bunch of awareness about this shit. But then as soon as it comes to their people, whether it's Trump or any sort of Republican, they shut down and they go, oh, well, that's not true. And it's like, you're completely going against your whole little narrative. Like, if you wanted to save the children, it shouldn't fucking matter who it is. Corey, it was the... But- it was the it was the Queen's private cabin at Balmoral that you're speaking of. Oh, I used to have a shitty apartment in a place called Balmoral Arms. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if the Queen's ever been there. Now, to your yeah, to your point though, like it, it <clears throat> is it incriminating that Epstein is like having these people on his plane? Which, by the way, we already knew all this stuff, right? Like we already right. knew this all came out, everything we know now came out a year. Yeah, all you basically have is pilots under oath confirming that these things are true, which is that these gentlemen were on the plane uh, and and taken to the island. And, you know, how incriminating is that? I don't know. I mean, I guess it just depends on how badly you want them to be pedophiles, to be honest with you. At this point, uh, are they pedophiles? I don't fucking know. Could they be? I would say that it's more likely that they are than, you know, I am. Because I was never on that plane with Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> you know, You're it's not like John Griffin trying to groom children. Well, yeah, what do you? Yeah. You yeah, guys you, related, by the way? Maybe. <laughs> you, know many, you know how many Griffins there are in this country? I know. I remember, I just said the other day there's like one like three doors down from you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even sign. know it's that. Like, We're the Griffins. I didn't even know that. <laughs> it's like Walsh. Walshes are just fucking everywhere. Smiths. Yeah, Griffins, Smiths, and Walshes. Jones franchises set up all over the place clarks <laughs> yeah i don't and that's the thing like this this whole thing she, like she's gonna be convicted she's gonna be sentenced we're not gonna get and anything out of this hear anything else about it i don't and then th- they're gonna shut the book on it and go look we did what we we're supposed to do yeah we we put a Meanwhile, pedophile away just, yeah and i think the only way you're gonna get uh, anything credible on you know these high profile and these high power people is is by getting credible accusers, you know and you know we talk about this all the time. We talk about sexual abuse cases. What's credible? What's not? That's not for me to say. Um, but what I will say is that I think it's going to be difficult because you have to understand that like victims of sexual abuse particularly at a young age we we see it all the time about how they they 
they they just don't come out. And then you you often had you know for a while there you had people that would say things like, well, you know, if she was raped, why didn't she say something sooner? That completely unthinking statement that is complete bullshit. And that's right. with just ordinary people that committed sexual crimes against them. Now we're talking about the the people that run the fucking world that yeah. that abused you. It, yeah, like it's so Literally like if, the the top one percent, the elites. So if women have a hard time, especially young girls have a hard time coming out about sexual abuse and rape when they're when they're just abused by a r- average Joe because they're afraid or. You know, you hear you hear all all sorts of different reasons, and, and you know, psychologists talk about this all the time about why young girls and, and women are afraid to, or not even necessarily afraid, but just don't want to say anything because they're embarrassed, because they're afraid, various different reasons. Uh, how 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 difficult do you think it's going to be to get accusers to come out against people of this ilk? It's going to be even more difficult. And I hope right. if they're out there, honestly, I hope they do. I think we all well, hope they do. Sometimes they do, but then they just get stifled, like Tara yeah. Reid. Yeah. And the, the girls against Chris Cuomo, or not Chris Cuomo, uh, Andrew Cuomo, and the chairmen of like groups like Time's Up and uh, the Human Rights Foundation are like advising Cuomo when the whole premise of their charitable organizations are to fight sexual assault charges. You saw that, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, the chairman of the Human Rights Foundation had to step down. The chairman of the of Times Up had to step down. It's yeah. fucking gross, man. It's uh, it's 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 like the uh, it's worthy and unworthy victims. You know how you often hear about like uh, I, I only bring this up because Marissa and I just started watching the second season of Tiger King, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, the, the whole, I won't give oh, no spoilers, but like the whole first episode's about like where Doc Antel came from, and you know how he used to be part of like a uh, like a like a yoga style cult. You know, yeah. you 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 hear about that all the time, like the trustworthiness of yogis, and like, and then you find out that they're like sexually uh, harassing and, in certain cases, sexually assaulting and raping women. The Bikram Come yoga here, thing. Let me realign your chakra by realigning your back. Yeah, the, yeah. This 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 weird like trustworthiness that you get from like a swami of like a like like a like like a yoga retreat. It, it's kind of the same thing. Right when you talk right. about like the leader of Times Up, oh, this is somebody we can trust. You know, they like embed yeah, they embed themselves in a place where they're almost hiding in plain sight. You know what I'm saying? I don't know well, if that made guy, any the sense. The leader of but. Times Up is literally against sexual assault. Damn, he would never advise someone on what to say and what to do when they're trying to defend themselves against their <laughs> sexual assault cases. <laughs> right. Neither That's would it, neither saying. would a high quality journalist like Chris Cuomo. I don't even care if it was his brother. He, he would, would never, never do such a thing. Don Lemon would Don, <laughs> Don Lemon would never ever. What did he do? Did he? What was it? What's the allergy allegation? Did he grab another guy's nuts or did he grab his own nuts? Dude, I just found out last week on the it. show that Don Lemon was gay. I had no, I had no fucking idea. <laughs> Shows you how much we actually watch no actual idea. mainstream yeah. media. Yeah. He's got a great uh, memory, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so what you drinking over there, Dan? I forgot. No, I'm drinking a Woodford Reserve. I'm drinking the uh, uh, the the private barrel from uh, Crystal Palace that I bought. Uh, I've drank in this. I've drank. I've drank and drank and drunk, drunk, drank and drunk this. Drink, on the, drank, drunk on this on the show before. Uh, super strong. It's 95 proof. Oh, very nice. Lots this of sweet oaky notes. Proof. 
I got a new one. Get out of here. I got a new one. It's a uh, Yellowstone. It's called. It's uh, made in Kentucky. It's a uh, 93 proof. It's pretty good. It's uh, got a nice little taste to it. It's pretty smooth. Uh, just bought this one last week. My second glass of it. And I'll be drinking more of it. Kevin Costner is still not my Basil Hayden. So Kevin Costner is very proud. <laughs> yeah, Yellowstone. Kevin <laughs> Costner approved. <laughs> okay, I'll drink to that. Oh, and then I'm also drinking a uh, a Coonan Drippa. Hmm. Yeah, that's a nice, you know, double rice India Pale Ale. That's nine point five percent alcohol. I think that would be what twenty proof. <laughs> twenty proof beer. <laughs> It's a solid. It's 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 a little too a little too much for me. A little too syrupy. Oh, it's very very happy too. That's not bad. It's local. Support your local brewery. That should be a sticker. Corey's gonna hurt himself. Put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll see you guys there. <laughs> Dude, I can't wait till my accelerator. This is my last week. Oh, that's another thing for you. This is my last week. Uh. Of my accelerated classes, I'll actually be able to dive back into some more of this shit, you know, and I want to make a bunch of sound bites. I think I'll make some that will make you proud, Dan. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> I'll just keep going. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm not. <laughs> we're I'm not, done. I'm done. We're I not going to, we're not going to turn this into an old, uh, an old Howard that Stern That was Hangover, show. right? Yeah. That's Ed, that's yeah, Ed that's Helms. Awesome. You know, one thing yeah. we missed about, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell though. One thing that is interesting and just fucking funny is uh, you you did allude to this just a little bit about how uh, QAnon no longer cares about the trial. <laughs> after oh, Epstein's because pilot. that pilot was like, yeah, Trump was on the plane a lot. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, fuck this. At first, at first, like some of like the higher ups in the in the in the Q verse were trying to uh, like play it down, like oh, the left media is trying to make this about Donald Trump, like they always do. Got to make it about Donald Trump. That's that TDS. <laughs> the uh, the Washington Examiner actually pulled some quotes from some uh, some QAnon people on uh, what the hell is that? And instant messaging uh, at Telegram. Telegram. There's Telegram. There's Weebly, WeChat. <laughs> and they're all super right-wing people. Because <laughs> of censorship throwing them off of the oh, mainstream platform. where did it go? The quotes were right here. I just oh, had him. Oh, wait, here they go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, one user identified by Newsweek as Qtaw. Very, very uh, interesting name. I wonder where he lives. Uh if you're Missouri or something, maybe if you're paying it, <laughs> if you're paying attention to the media right now, they're attempting to turn the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell into a trial of President Trump. These moves always backfire on them. <laughs> Utah, who is more than who has more than one hundred twenty eight thousand four hundred thirty subscribers, terrifying, added that there that there was no evidence Trump flew on the plane. Except for the testimony from the pilot that said that he flew on the plane. <laughs> testimony from the pilot, the flight logs, <laughs> the uh, pictures. Here's another one. <laughs> Bruno Barks, uh, another uh, user waxing poetic, posted, so the pilot in the Glenn Maxwell case has fingered Trump. We'll just stop there for a minute.
Let, let, let that sink in. Let that one celebrate. Let that one marinate. He fingered him? Uh, fingered Trump as being a passenger on Epstein's Lolita Express. Trump lied and is guilty. Leftist Twitter is gleefully exclaiming, They jumped the shark again. I challenge you to find anywhere where Trump directly denies flying with Epstein. We can, we can find a quote from Trump irritated at Epstein who is going to fly on the Trump plane. Now, I don't know where this is going. All this does is get more leftist eyes on the trial, and they will soon see who is really guilty. Remember that in any string operation, one must need to get close to the target scumbag being set up. In other words, so tell me if I'm wrong here. What Bruno Barks is claiming is that Donald Trump was an insider. He was oh, trying to God. he was trying to infiltrate. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> he was trying that's to infiltrate thing, you know, the Epstein operation. You know, that's one thing I give the left credit for versus the right. You know, when the left when one of theirs uh is on an uneven keel and all of a sudden there's stuff coming out about them, they might try at first to like fight it, as evidenced by Andrew Cuomo with all of these different Times Up foundations. Uh, trying to help him out but when the cards fall they all just turn on him real fast both the cuomo brothers look at uh weinstein um uh even his what's his face uh was it oh fuck what's his name he used to be a comedian al franken was it franken yeah the guy who was uh with the picture of him with a hand with his hand on the chick's boob right yeah and they, they're quick to just turn on their own and eat their own. Like, that's the thing that people always talk about the left. The left always eats their own. And, uh, but like, the right, no, it's, nah, this is a setup. This is the leftist media. Yeah. Everything is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, and it, the, other, the other huge thing about, uh, that sets the left back, I think, very, very often is, uh, this is this is kind of off topic, but it, it it does fit in that because you, you you talked about the left being willing to eat its own in in many cases, and the right not doing so. But one thing that the left also struggles with is when it when it comes to the, the, their movements, right? Like when you think about Bernie Sanders, when you think about Andrew Yang, oh, the, yeah, le- like the left silence their own. The left does a what the the left does a really good job at mobilizing and a really shitty job at organizing. Yeah. They mobilize also, in a disorganized way. I think that also falls under the left eats their own. Like they have these populist, you know, candidates come out like a Bernie Sanders, like a Tulsi Gabbard. And they just straight, just no, no, no. You're not a part of the plan. You're not a part of what our game plan is here. Well, they don't understand what organization is, right? Like organization is coming, yeah, that's one thing you're right. That's coming together, the GOP credit for coming together under a common stuff. goal, right? So it's like, uh, uh, like when the left is organizing something, it's always like under under the guise of inclusion, but you're eliminated because you tweeted the word faggot twelve years ago. So we you, you're not allowed in. <laughs> you actually said it, or or. Uh, <laughs> Or you're not allowed in because you know you uh, wore a, 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 
what am I looking for? A Native people's garb as a Halloween costume seven years ago. You're not allowed. You're not allowed. That's not how organization works. Organization isn't like we're all going to organize, but you, 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 and you, and you are all excluded. And that's right. what that's what the left There's does. Ten of us and eight of you are out of here. That's why they can't organize. They can mobilize, but they can't organize. Right. Yeah. They can. That's exactly it. They can campaign, but they can't like legislate. Republicans are fucking terrible at campaigning, but when it comes to legislation, that's what I said earlier. Like they're in lockstep. They, they like, those guys do not break party lines whatsoever. And Democrats are constantly, unless it's the Maverick, yeah. John McCain. Yeah, 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 yeah. And well, and that's and that's why and that's why both sides suck, right? Because you have you have the left that can mobilize but not organize, and then you have the right that will that will stand behind being wrong 100%. until they die, until they are shot in the head. They will stand behind being wrong. Yeah, isn't that funny? Super interesting. The yin and the yang of our two-party system, that's like a bird with the wings of the same body. And I mean, we're really talking about the extremes. We're talking about that that powerful minority that we're that we're dealing with. Yeah. Okay. That was fun. Okay. Cue that was on. fun. What's <laughs> next? Uh tornado deaths. Uh, Big storms. Uh, uh Uncommonly rare December storms uh, littered with... Really uncommonly rare, rare, actually. Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? Uncommonly rare? Or is Uh, it less commonly rare than most rare things are? Super uncommonly rarely occurring (laughs) often. Uncommonly (laughs) Uncommonly rare December storms littered with heavy tornado activity rolled through the lower Midwest, killing six people at an Amazon distribution center. Very rare. <laughs> yeah. In uh, Edwardsville, Illinois, killing six people in an Amazon distribution center and 89 more in a candle factory uh, in Mayfield, Kentucky. No, 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 no. 89 died in Kentucky. Yeah. I think only eight died in the factory. That's what I said. Six. Oh, six, oh, oh, six oh, 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 I'm sorry. Yes. Factory. That's what I meant. I misread that. Eight, yeah. 89 dying yeah. in Mayfield or 89 dying in Mayfield altogether and a handful of those in the actual candle factory. I know. I don't want you over here uh, being a <laughs> a mainstream media stooge pushing some false narrative. No, no, I just that was a Freudian slip. I misread that. <laughs> Eighty nine. <laughs> you mean sixty nine? Hey, that'd be a Freudian slip. Anyway, thank you for fi- <laughs> thank you, thank, anyway. Thank you for catching that. <laughs> people would be like, yeah. that's not what happened. Yeah, <laughs> and all of our credibility goes straight out the window. Thank God you were listening. No, uh, yeah, it's still, it's still. I mean, we're over here joking about it. You know, we just went through a tragedy in our own community, and we talked about how when it hits close to home, it's different. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's a lot of people died. You know, like, and not just in the factories. The factories are the ones that are catching the clout because of the fact that, like. People's jobs were threatened because <laughs> they, they wanted to go home to their families and lose four hours of production. But um, yeah, no, it's it's sad. I mean, it's sad because uh, immediately, uh, just like what happened here, it's just so like when Oxford happened, it immediately went to the political grandstanding of gun control and things like that. Mm-hmm. If you've noticed in the mainstream media, 
they've immediately gone to grandstanding about climate change. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are they both important topics? Absolutely. But we're just, I, I'm just tired of seeing people's lives just being used as pawns just for, so someone on Twitter can go, oh, see, told you so. Yeah. With no connection or no emotion. Look to at anything. me, when? Like, there's people. People died. Like when are we going to do? When are we going to do something about climate change? Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, like, well, well, let's just flip a switch and fix this real fast. Why don't we? Yeah, like, why don't give we? Me a goddamn break. Why don't we talk about what actually happened? Why don't we talk about preventing it from happening again? Not by somehow preventing tornadoes from landing due to climate change tomorrow, but maybe uh, safety precautions put in place. Maybe talk about the labor movement. Maybe talk about how these workers are treated like shit. Maybe how, talk right. about how they're threatened with with their jobs if they leave when hours in advance we knew these right. storms were going to hit. Oh, it's so scary. That's so sad. I mean, especially with like when like certain things we can think that in a tangible sense are uh, preventable, like a like a like a mass shooting and stuff like that. But like when it's Mother Nature, there's literally like. I think that's why there's not so much politicization. I mean, they're trying with the climate change thing, but with the people that died, it's like, well, it was it was a freak weather experience, weather event. Um, so people are taking that grief, and I think they're shoving it into uh, the two factories where people died, where those deaths could have been preventable. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean. It's that, and, and it's that, and it's it's either that or it's excuse making, right? It's one or the other. Yeah, dude. Yeah, the bootlicking on this is absolutely insane. Like I'm not trying. Like <laughs> yes, everyone's really. I don't mean to laugh, but Amazon. it's. Yeah, the bootlicking itself is laughable. Like it's insane to me, and I'll get to that in a second. It's um, I think a lot of the lives are being like brushed aside. And everyone's fixating on the six in Amazon and the uh, eight in mayfield because right now we're really fixated on workers rights and this ties into that so so well at a time where workers rights are such a like front line like hot button issue issue yeah that us as workers are like well hell yeah we need to get more workers rights and stuff like that but yeah it's it's sad i mean like you look at those pictures those places are devastated you hear stories like biden's offering 100% 100% federal aid to cleaning up, but only for 30 days. I don't understand what that stipulation is. I don't know if that's a normal stipulation for things. But there's people who are sifting through their life, their like livelihood, like everything they built for their entire life, and they're sifting through it, and they have to go through it quick and hurry up and grab shit. This old lady is like, yeah, they told me that I only have a couple hours to find my stuff before they come and bulldoze everything. And it's because the federal government's only offering uh, to pick up the tab for 30 days of cleanup. But granted, Biden was there immediately. He didn't pull any sort of partisan antics or tricks like our previous president did. And speaking and of that, Mitch, speaking Mitch of that, McConnell actually thanked him. And it sucks that it's always tragedies that create bipartisanship. Yeah, like the Chris Christie hugging Barack Obama after the bridge thing in New Jersey. Like that's the only time we ever see. Things like yep. that. But then still, and this this actually like irked me a little bit. When I see that Biden shows up and he gives a speech, he shows up to the tra he shows up to where the tragedy took place, which by the way, a lot of GOP people, your guy, 
George W. Bush didn't fucking do that when Katrina hit in 2005. Yeah, so he just did a flyover, flyover, didn't he? Let's just uh, let's just talk about Which, that. To be fair, <laughs> everything was. But you know what? It, it, here's the thing: is water. here's the thing: is like, I'm actually disappointed that I just said that because I don't normally like to be the guy that's like, "Well, what about?" Uh, and that's exactly what I just did. So, <laughs> right. Uh, but but what really what, what I meant to say is like. You, ha- you you got Newsmax and other conservative uh, publications talking about how there was a giant "Let's go Brandon" tra- chant at the uh, at, at when when Biden gave his speech, and my my thought about that is like these are the same fucking people that when Trump was president and the left was being you know mean to Donald Trump. Going, he was throwing paper towel at Puerto Ricans. Yeah, and <laughs> and saying things like, "Oh, you need to respect the office. You need oh to respect God. the I'm office." So tired of that. And my whole thing was when when Trump was president was, "I will respect the office when the president respects the office." But that's neither here nor there. For the the, the people in 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 Kentucky that are shouting, "Let's go, Brandon," which by the way means uh, "fuck Joe Biden," and you can just say "fuck Joe Biden." Wait, is that what it means? <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. It, that's I don't know if you knew, thought, brand new, brand new I thing. I thought that there was this Brandon guy that everyone just loved. <laughs> he's just everywhere. I mean, he's he's everywhere Joe Biden is. It's really weird. I don't know how that always happens. Uh, right. But you know what? I'm an adult, and I'll just say it: "fuck Joe Biden," yeah. because he's a piece of shit. Like I don't understand why we got to make this like. But it's uh, it's cinnamon or but, synonym. But it's like <laughs> you 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 you're the same people that sat there and that, that will sit there and take to to Twitter or or Gab or you know whatever or, or Tinder or whatever the hell it is and and, and talk about Tyler. how it's how the, how the liberal media is was so mean to Donald Trump when you're literally going to a president's speech and saying fuck you. You know what I mean? Right. It's like ah. Uh, it's because oh, you're just, not actually saying it. It's like that South bleh, Quip. It just that, makes you want the to Southern up. Quip where it's like, oh, bless your heart, <laughs> which literally means you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> I actually think it means something a little more offensive than that. Like, oh, yeah, it's like you just don't have a clue, dude. No, you? it means. Oh, bless your heart. No, it means you're retarded. That's what it means. <laughs> That's what it actually means. <clears throat> you're right. That is what it means. We digress. Uh, You're just doing your best, aren't you? So there's a class action lawsuit against uh, Mayfield Consumer Products, the candle company, correct? Uh, Employees were allegedly told that they were going to be fired if they left early. Oh, my God. Now, what's interesting about this, and here's here's what I I, I also found. Uh, Bob Ferguson, a spokesman for Mayfield Consumer Products, says that that is absolutely untrue. And he says that there, there was a... Uh, facility policy in place since COVID began that employees could leave at any time and still have their job the next day. So what I would like to know is why are all these blue collar workers lying? Well, yeah. Well, that's basically, (laughs) that's basically what I was getting at, which is like, okay, so (laughs) why would the survivors put the job that they stayed to keep on the line by lying about it? My my question is okay. So then, how many people left that day? Because there's no way the number would have been zero, knowing that a storm of that size was heading literally right at your fucking head. So did anybody leave right. that day? Because if nobody left that day, I'm sorry, Bob Ferguson, but I don't believe you. Right. <laughs> I just don't. I think some did because there was reports of uh, the Mayfield uh, plant 
taking roll call just mm. to make sure everyone was still there to catch people who left. Why are you taking roll call then? If people are allowed to leave and and have a job the next day, exactly. Why are you taking roll call? Yeah, it sounds like someone's trying to cover their ass. <laughs> it ain't covered, dude. It's wide open and it's beat. Yeah. It is beat red with a handprint on it. Good. Fuck them, dude. Corporatism. Bad baby. Bad baby. People. You know, it's like, I love capitalism. You know, I like stuff. I like being able to go to a store and just see all the different products and choose different things and buy things and have what I want. And, you know, and it's just like, I'm looking at all the dumb stuff from every room that capitalism afforded me that people like in so many other countries in the world wouldn't be able to afford. I'm looking at a, a powdered wig and a ukulele. A snowboard and you know, like I'm just like all this dumb shit that I own because of capitalism. The phone in front of your face, right? But my God, my God, like, at what point is profit over people like warranted and like allowed? You know what? Like, try to think of a good word. Excusable, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Excusable. Well, I think that's that's where the 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 labor movement side of this comes into play it's 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 a tragedy and like the people that died it, it sucks but any with any tragedy you can you can find a silver lining and i think this silver lining with with these the, both the amazon facility and uh, the mayfield uh, uh, consumer products factory i think the silver lining that you could find is like this this hopefully if the cards are played correctly this will fit right into this labor movement, like, movement. okay, now people actually died because of capitalism and consumerism. Like, directly. It's, like, that's exactly what happened. This is what it takes. Like, we're literally going through what we went through 100 years ago, you know, with the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory uh, event where, like, it sucks that, like, these people are almost martyrs to a point for Correct. a movement that we're having right now. And, like, it's almost like, well... Let's make their lives worth it, and let's make it to where we make sure that we do whatever we can to make this shit stop. And so, we've got some interesting uh, facts here, Corey, about the Mayfield Consumer Products Factory that was... Oh, dude. Yeah, fuck this company. You know what? And fuck anyone that gets from them. Don't buy anything from Bed Bath & Beyond this Christmas. So, are you ready for the uh, John Chavez piece? Chavez? I think it's Chavez. Uh, from the Lexington Herald Leader, uh, a demand. Chev- I, I think it's Chevet. <laughs> I made that up. I'll find out. I'll send him an email. I'm going to try and get him on the show. Uh, a demand for workers, eight dollar hourly wage. What we know about the Mayfield Candle Factory. So this is pretty short. I'm going to read this whole thing for verbatim. Uh, at least eight of the casualties from the December 10 tornadoes were in a candle factory in Western Kentucky, where 110 people were working before the storm hit. Here's what we know about it. Point one, Mayfield Consumer Products LLC made candles, candle accessories, and home fragrance products inside its factory at 112 Industrial Drive in Mayfield. MCP recently ranked as Graves County's third largest private employer, although its employment total sometimes exceeded 200, could vary between could vary depending on the economy and seasonal demand for its products, with Christmas being its busy time. Initial casualty figures reported by state officials from the candle factory were revised downward 
as more survivors were located around the devastated community. MCP spokesperson Bob Ferguson told the Associated Press on Sunday that eight of 110 workers in the factory Friday night have been confirmed dead and another eight are missing. More than 90 have now been accounted for, uh, is what Ferguson said. The company chief executive officer, Troy Propes, told Fox News on Sunday that workers were told to shelter inside the factory's bathrooms, with uh, which had windowless concrete walls and a steel roof. Management did not want to evacuate the building and send workers out into the approaching storm. <laughs> okay. Uh, everyone knew it was coming. Quote, everyone was aware of bad weather. Uh but as we're all taught, even as children, the first thing you do, don't get into your car, Propes said. Okay, so what about two, one hour, a half an hour before the storm hit? Uh, he goes right. on to say, Propes goes on to say, this is a manufacturing facility. You would never believe that. You would, you would have thought that this would have been one of the one of the more one of the more safest places to be, and yet this storm proved differently trying to cover his ass. Uh, the Candle Factory right. was hiring, advertising 10-hour and 12-hour shifts that started at $8 per hour. But, you know, it's okay because it's 70, 75 cents more than the minimum wage. Uh, the afternoon shift began at 5 p.m. Man, quote, mandatory overtime will be required frequently either by extending your shift or working on Friday, uh, the company told potential job applicants. Western Kentucky native Mary V. Propes, now 69 years old, uh, decades ago founded MVP Group International. The company opened the Mayfield Candle Factory as well as other consumer product manufacturers with operations in different states and related business ventures in China and India. In the year 2000, MVP Group International moved its headquarters from Mayfield to Charleston, South Carolina, where Mary V. Propes had, ta Mary v. Propes had taken up residence. The Probes oh, family. God damn it! Yep, they yeah. cut you off real quick. Go ahead. <clears throat> My friend Steve just posted he him for his pronouns. <laughs> That's all he posted in the group chat. <laughs> I was because at work I was on. A, I'm sorry to completely go off on a tangent. I was at work today talking about how it just completely just redundant with someone who is clearly no when you clearly know their gender. That's pretty awesome. How it's just <laughs> gaslighting when you actually put your gender pronouns like in your little bio on your Twitter or anything like that. And then the <laughs> amount the amount of the amount of a uh, syringe emojis for the amount of vaccinations you've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> do people do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're doing tally marks on their arm like yeah, a yeah. tattoo. Yeah. If in your in your in your Twitter, uh, uh, what is it? Your Twitter name, the one you can change, uh, your yeah. handle. Uh, you can you people are actually putting syringe emojis for how many shots? Like tally marks. Gotten. Oh Jesus Christ! Mast and vax. But yeah, I was I was bitching about how it's like if you have like if there's a guy and his name's Jerry, <laughs> and his profile pictures him with a beard, and this thing says he him, it's like. Okay, I, I I would have guessed that. Like, you can't guess anymore. Can't guess. I guess I'm sorry. You want to hear more about the Probst track. family? Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry about that tangent, <laughs> but that was like super ADHD right there. Uh, it was. It just popped up in our chat. That's uh, why I was like, "Well, I gotta say this." <laughs> the Probst family announced in 2018 that it had that it had uh, 
divested its interest in MVP Group International while retaining family ownership of Mayfield Consumer Products, Troy Probst, Mary's son, would serve as a chief, chief executive officer. In 2008, citing a weak economy and flagging post-Christmas demand, Mayfield Consumer Products laid off 91 workers at the Mayfield Candle Factory at the time, 42% of its total workforce. But in 2011 and 2018, as the economy improved, the Kentucky Economic Developer Cabinet authorized a total of up to $1.5 million in tax incentives in exchange for the company adding up to 68 jobs to the factory. So they needed Fucking government love money. That corporate welfare. Yeah, they needed government money to add more jobs. Uh, in 2019, the U.S. Occupation oh, oh, fuck, OSHA uh, inspected the candle factory and issued a report identifying 12 violations seven of them labeled as quote serious carrying a total of sixteen thousand three hundred fifty dollars in fines the citation so i'm gonna stop you real quick yeah. and i looked this one up and uh so these these different uh, violations included like safety work practices um electrical issues and um safety stops on like machines and stuff like that all very important things. All very important things when it comes to the safety in a workplace. Yeah, and then so he goes on to say the citations listed problems with electrical protective equipment, maintenance, safeguards, and operational features for exit routes and personal yeah. protective equipment. Uh, I only bring it up because I actually found that on the OSHA website as well. So it's real. You can find it. Yeah. So like a lot of this stuff, I because like, I'm not sure, like Bakersfield.com, I'm not exactly sure of the legitimacy or the credibility of this website. So like I did research. And every one of these individual things to like double check and make well, this sure. uh that that Bakersfield that thing you sent to me this is the show prep talk uh, was yep. actually was actually, yeah, actually I actually have it pulled up as well I'm going through it as you do it was actually from the Lexington Herald Leader that's actually that's where this originated from so this is an okay. a, this is an actual uh, this uh, uh, John Chavez guy uh, okay works for the Washington Herald Leader so okay so it's a le- yeah it's legitimate. Uh, where did I leave off? Here we go. Uh, in 2019, Mary V. Probst told a visiting then Governor Matt Bevan that the candle factory could not find enough workers to satisfy market demand for its products, according to a story at the time. In the, in the <laughs> That's what happens when you have people when you offer people eleven dollars an hour? Eight, eight dollars an hour. Now that's one that I couldn't find, but I all I did was I went through Glassdoor and I went through Indeed. I was looking for like job listings because when you go to the actual mcp website right now it's literally just shut down there's no links there's nothing uh, on it all it sense. is all it is is just the uh at the end of this article you'll see it is just the uh the statement from the company talking about how they feel bad and that they're starting a fundraiser to give people money instead of just paying for the shit out of their own pocket well here's the here's the interesting quote from uh mary v probes that was in that mayfield messenger article uh, about labor, quote, one of our biggest problems is labor. Labor is everything, Probst told the governor. If labor is everything, why are you paying them $8 an hour or $11 an hour? labor is everything, you think you would cherish it. Earlier this year, the Graves County jailer uh, told the Pudica Pudic- son uh, that he would provide an inmate-to-business work program to supply labor in the candle factory. When a tornado destroyed the factory late Friday, seven jail inmates were working inside. All survived, although one later took the opportunity to escape. And deputy Because the deputy jailer that was at the factory died! 
<laughs> the one who was supposed to be watching the inmates, he died in the fucking uh, tragedy. That's literally the yeah. That's literally the next line. The deputy yeah, jailer yeah, with the I monitor that, the inmates like, was the among hell? the many killed inside the building. The uh, slave labor, and then the, then the uh, slave master died. <laughs> the guy with the whip. Like that's literally what that was. That's just slave labor. They're just subsidizing labor with inmates. You know they're not getting paid minimum wage. No, they're getting paid like. 50 cents an hour or whatever, whatever inmates make. Uh, also this year, Mayfield Consumer Products convinced an appellate court to uphold the dismissal of a civil rights lawsuit filed by Armando Rivera Hernandez, a laborer whom mm-hmm. the company recruited in Puerto Rico. Hernandez said he was fired for being overweight after the company's chief financial officer sent out a text message stating, quote, we are working diligently to clean up the epileptic, obese, pregnant, and special needs issues. Mm-hmm. And then Christ. so I looked into that case. I found a website on justice and it, on like justia.com or whatever. And it had the court uh, case number and all that stuff. And yeah. And the reason, so what they did. Um, so the appellate court, he tried to sue for being wrongfully sued, but then he was back. He moved, went back to Puerto Rico. And so the Kentucky court system was like, or was it the Supreme court? It was, the, well, the appellate court was like, well, this is uh doesn't regard you because you're not in Kentucky is basically what they told him. Yeah, the courts ruled according to the article the the uh the courts ruled that Hernandez having signed a labor agreement with the company and having later been returned to Puerto Rico should not have yeah. access to Kentucky courts. Instead the court said he should he should have pursued this his grievance uh through an employment service office as his labor agreement required. Don't you love that inconsistency? Because it's like, oh, well, Kyle Rittenhouse shouldn't have had access to the uh, Wisconsin courts. He was all the way back in Indiana. And the, well, the other thing that's interesting is like he's still an American citizen if he's Puerto Rican. Right. Yeah. Puerto Ricans are still American citizens. It's amazing how many people don't know that. Isn't it amazing how many people don't know that? <laughs> Not really. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess. I guess amazing. Yes. Surprising. No. Uh, And it was this is almost over. In a statement on the company's website this weekend, Corey, you've probably seen this. Troy Probst wrote, "Quote: Our Mayfield, Kentucky facility was destroyed December tenth, twenty twenty one, by a tornado, and tragically, employees were killed and injured. We're heartbroken about this, and our immediate efforts are to assist those affected by the terrible disaster. Our company is family owned, and our employees." Some of who have some of whom have worked with us for many years are cherished. We're immediately establishing an emergency fund to assist our employees and their families. Probes wrote, "We're grateful yes. to the first responders who heroically assisted our employees following the storm, and we're thankful for those who are generously offering to assist us. Our your your prayers are needed and appreciated. I fucking hate that last line. Your yep, prayers yeah. are not needed nor appreciated because especially yours. And I'm talking yep. about Mr. Probst. Uh, right. They're, uh, they're so tore up about it that they're, uh, that the second building next door is still open and they are forcing <laughs> the employees who are still alive to come into work today. Well, they're literally still searching for their coworkers corpses a hundred feet away. Oh God! It was so. Oh, it's like the Amazon factory thing. Same thing, like not this incident, but in a different incident. There was a uh, Amazon incident where somebody died on the floor, 
and they and they forced people to continue packing boxes while the ambulance was coming in and picking up their dead coworker. But they care. They care so much Isn't about that their funny employees. Funny too how uh, so this this Mayfield company doesn't have the uh, you know the reach into all the different media outlets and uh, the money to to uh, stifle things that like they're getting really hit with this, but the Amazon factory was hit too, but you don't hear nearly as much about Amazon in the news as you do this Mayfield company. When Amazon had six employees die, which is really only two different, like the, the factor of the two is two bodies. The mainstream news, Corey. I mean, you're hearing a ton about it from new media, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah you know, yeah, yeah. The, the things about like how, uh, Amazon issued or is issuing. I, I don't want to get the, the the language wrong here, but issued or is issuing a a no phone policy. And they've uh, already they've already had it. Yeah, and and those employees didn't even know a storm was coming. Yeah, and Amazon didn't even know how many people were in the building because some of them are contractors, like the drivers and stuff. They're independent contractors. I'll give credit to Crystal Ball. I heard her make a, a very prudent joke today about how I, I'm sure. Actually, she might have been quoting somebody. I'm sure they knew how many fucking iPads were in that building, though. Right. Exactly how many iPads were in that building? Like a man named Larry Verdon. He was a driver for Amazon. His last text to his girlfriend was, "Amazon won't let us leave," and his girlfriend responded, "I love you." And that text was just left unread, and he died. Yeah. The last thing he ever said to his wife, his girlfriend was, Amazon, Amazon won't let, let us, us leave. leave. Yeah. I'm surprised, he, I'm surprised he had his phone. Imagine the other people that didn't have their phones, that couldn't yeah. say anything. He might, have, he might have had the privilege of holding on to his phone because he's a driver. Ah, yeah, yes. He's like a, like a, uh, a trustee at a prison. Who gets a couple little extra benefits? Yeah, he's the guy that he's the Andy Dufresne character that does the uh, the mail work for the warden, right? <laughs> he does his taxes. But yeah, for dude, him. it's it's so fucked up. It's so sad, and it's like, and then we're what, and then you know, like right now, labor's or union labor unions are more popular than they've ever been. It's like, well, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. And the, and and I've said this once before, and 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 I, I want to keep reiterating it. It's great that there's a labor movement and there's this resurgence of unions, but what what has to happen is we have to make sure that the power of said unions stay with the people. We don't want it to turn into a microcosm of what the United States is where it's, hey, uh, you know, power to the people, but really we don't have any fucking power. And and unions right. had that problem for a long time. Yeah, where it was turning bureaucracy. It was all about the bureaucracy. It was all about the higher ups in the union. The workers didn't mean much. They still had to pay their union dues the, or the equivalent of taxes, right? So, if if there's going to be a resurgence of unions, it has to stay in good faith, and the power has to actually stay with the workers. They have to have a say, right? And that's why I almost like when I have that when I come to with when I come to people with this conversation who are who have like the sour taste of like unionizing and stuff and in their mouth i like to use the word collective bargaining where it's we don't necessarily have to have like these like union dues and all of this different bureaucracy and these small little subset organizations within a company let's just let all the people actually just have a collective voice about things i think i think the 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 greatest example of that that i would go with because i'm a sports fan right i mean the nba the nfl the nhl yeah, those guys get paid. Uh, Major League Baseball, they all have players unions and they all have collective bargaining agreements with 
the owners of said league. And it, it happens all the time when we're talking about sports. Every time the collective bargaining agreement is almost over, there's always a fight between the owners and the players. And there are always bootlickers out there, as you like to say, that want to side with the owners. Oh my God, these players get paid so much money. They get paid millions and millions of dollars to play a game. To which my response is always, when you are the best in the world at what you do, don't care what it is. Out of 7 billion people, when you are one of the top in the, in, in the framework of the NFL, when you are one of the top 3,000 football players in the world, out of 7 billion people, you have a special gift that people are willing to pay for to come watch you play, to pay, the, to pay for cable to watch you play. You deserve to get paid what the market wants to pay you. I don't care if you're uh, a a teacher or or a a, a police officer or a, a, an EMT or a football player or a baseball player. You should get paid what they're willing to pay you. And so, I when people side with the owners, I go, "You have no idea how much money the owners are making. You have no idea." Oftentimes, these people don't really know that much about sports. And they don't realize that like stadiums are paid for with a lot of city and state tax dollars. Billionaire sports owners can't, can't quote unquote can't afford to build their own arenas and their own stadiums, and that's bullshit. And I think, I think we may have lost Corey. <laughs> Just in time for us to talk about Stephen Donziger. So hang in there. We'll get Corey back. Ba, ba, ba. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Go live. All right. We're back. Welcome back for part two of this particular show. Some technical difficulties. I was worried that uh, Corey's house fell down or he injured himself again on a on a piece of glass on the door i really want to blame the weather but i don't think it had anything to do with it i don't know what happened <laughs> this is why we this is why we need uh we need to get a patreon going we need people donating so Corey can imp- improve his equipment buy a man <laughs> i have a really nice macbook actually <laughs> believe it or not i don't understand why this is going on buy a mansion <laughs> yeah <laughs> give us a patreon please i'm poor it's, it's somewhere in uh, where is where was it? Where, where were we talking about? Where the where Epstein Epstein took people to the, or where Epstein went for the the Queen's place? At we ba- just we are just flipping we are just flipping into Donziger at Balmoral. Uh, yes, we were going to talk about uh, Stephen Donziger. This is actually something that we haven't really talked about a whole lot on this show, and we we may have mentioned it in, in passing, um, which is actually. Uh, uh, a, an egregious misstep on our part as, as far as I'm concerned. So 
Uh, for folks listening that don't really aren't really familiar with the the Stephen Donziger deal, basically Stephen Donziger uh, is a, it was an attorney uh, that was basically put in prison for holding Chevron accountable uh, for poisoning and killing people in third world countries. Uh, yep, he, he, they were dumping all of their oil waste and just to the like little pits around small towns. And I think it affected. What was it? Uh, I know it affected thousands of people in Ecuador. And so Ecuador. Chevron decided to take their revenge and stew Steven Donziger for, I don't even really remember what the charges were, to be honest with you. I just had them in the front of my they, mind. They tried to say them. it was Rico in contempt of court, ah. but it was, but here's the thing. So the reason why, they were trying to pull that off is uh, right here. So I'm right now I'm on jacobinmag.com and um, there was this judge, judge a Lewis Kaplan. She was a Chevron invested former tobacco industry lawyer who had blocked and she became a judge and she blocked the judgment against the company and launched the contempt case to where then they went through this crazy, like unprecedented thing to where they, actually used private prosecutors instead of like actual prosecutors to come after him for his contempt course case. And they ended up trying to get him with Rico and contempt of court because he wouldn't turn over his laptop and phone, namely to protect the attorney client privilege. They called that contempt of court. And then they put him in his house on, uh, um, Detention, home detention. Was, yeah, seven hundred eighty-seven days. Yeah, house arrest for seven hundred eighty-seven days. And then it got moved over to this chick named Preska, which I'm looking up her first name real quick. She, her, Loretta Preska, and she was a judge for the Southern District of New York, and she had direct ties to the oil industry. And all these different places. And so yet, critics pointed to Prescott's seat on the advisory board of the New York chapter of the Federal Society, the right-wing judicial lobby, which of which Chevron is a donor. But even before then, Prescott's history of business ties and pro-corporate rulings made her an ideal pick to carry out the company's reprisal on Kaplan's behalf. So these people, these judges and lawyers and all these people who had their hands all inside of Chevron's like little money bag. Um, all of a sudden we're like, well, we're not going to recuse ourselves from the case. It would only encourage supporters of this defendant or other defendants to allege unsubstantiated conflicts of interest against any of my brothers and sisters of the court until no judge remained qualified to hear his case. That's what she said. That is the dumbest and, thing. So essentially what she correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand that is, what she said was basically like, there's no judge that wouldn't be dirty in this case or considered dirty in this case. Not one judge. Right. And so, yeah, and here's the thing, too, that kills me. It's like, it's not like this guy, Steve Donzinger, was trying to make a quick buck and rip off Chevron. He was literally securing $9.5 billion to help the people of Ecuador who were poisoned due to pollution in the Amazon rainforest. He was trying to get chevron to pay damages that they fucking committed yep and then chevron (laughs) decided this is what chevron did in the 90s is like because this all started in the 90s the cards are just falling now but uh or and uh yeah the 90s and so 
the um, Chevron, after all this was happening, when they decided, when they had the $9.5 billion judgment, Chevron, it was a subsidiary company called Pex, Petrotext or something like that. And they just pulled all their assets out of the out of the country. I was like, what are you talking about? We're not even there. What are we supposed to pay? Um, but he's free now, Corey. Quote, unquote, well, free. T- he went from house arrest to jail. The first person ever to be put in a federal prison on a misdemeanor. Yeah. And then the actual jail, it wasn't even a judge or anything. This is what's weird. It was like the jail's like advisory board was like, yeah, we're just going to send him home. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it was the first to be put in jail under a misdemeanor, but it was definitely the first to be put in prison over contempt. He was the first to be put in prison under that particular charge, from what I understand. Right. Either way, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Presco is a Federalist Society judge and has a history of pro-corporate rulings quite apart from the conflicts of interest with bad outcomes for working people. In 2003, Presco refused to block the Department of Housing and Urban Development sale of the South Bronx Pueblo de Meguez low-income housing development to a private developer. The 75-unit development was eventually sold to Emmanuel Q, a slumlord with 1,400 outstanding codes of violations. Um, two years later, Presco tossed out a suit by eight state attorneys general against the fi- jet state. Two years later, Presco tossed out a suit by eight state attorney general against five of the country's largest electric utilities and responsible for 10% of its carbon emissions, asking the courts to order them to reduce emissions over the decade. Prescott declined, arguing that all it does is slow it down and won't reduce the threat. In 2010, Prescott was picked again to decide a case, this time by Bloomberg, LP's lawyer, who wanted her to rule on the lawsuit brought against the company's brought against the company by 79 women who alleged pregnancy discrimination. Instead of a jury, despite the plaintiff's the Presco that Presco would want a jury to decide. She instead dismissed it, calling the claims merely a several isolated incidents of individual discrimination. Um, three years after that, Presco refused to block a mega merger between American Airlines and U.S. Airways, charging there was no evidence that anti the evidence the anti-competitive behavior would cause harm to consumers. So we're talking about judges who have and so we we. I wrote a monologue about this a couple months ago, uh, or a couple episodes ago, where we talked about judges having special interests in the cases that they were judging. And according to the, a recent Wall Street Journal report, since 2007, more than 100, this is it right here. According to the recent Wall Street Journal report, since 2010, more than 130 federal judges have failed to follow the law and judicial ethics and recuse themselves from as many as 685 cases that involved companies they own stocks in. And Preska and Kaplan are two of them. And the Don Zinger case is an example of a breathtaking institutional corruption, but it's only the most dramatic, hard-to-believe instant of the way that the business's powers have affected the unusually powerful U.S. courts. As Prescott's career shows, corporate America has found a way to shape ordinary people's lives through the courts in all matter of quieter, more understanding ways. Um, So basically, Chevron cooked, you know, like, cooked the books when it came to the rulings against uh steve donzinger and just completely defamed him completely made him seem like he's a piece of trash and all because he was just trying to help poor people in a third world country 
But uh, America's but America's supposed to be the greatest humanitarian country in the world, Corey. Only if you're if your interests align with the economic interests of our big daddy <laughs> government. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, just sit down, please. (laughs) Loretta Prescott, the judge who did Chevron's bidding in the case against activist Stephen Donziger, has a history of conflicts of interest and pro-corporate ruling. She's and she's not alone. The corporate influence and conflicts of interest are rampant in the court cases. Um, what is New York Times? I have a New York Times link here. How much longer is he? Is he supposed to be under house arrest? Like, what's he got left? I think he has to report his six months of house arrest there. Ah. Steve Donziger, the environmental and human rights lawyer who won a $9.5 billion settlement against Chevron over oil dumped in indigenous lands in the Amazon rainforest, surrendered himself to the federal authorities on Wednesday to begin a six-month prison sentence. A six-month prison sentence! <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. So he's sense finishing out me. that six months at home, basically, is what is what it is. Yeah, so he's kind of free... But not really. No, he's sitting in his house. I mean, man, it would have been nice at least for him if this had happened like a year and a half ago when everybody had to fucking stay home anyway. Like <laughs> that would have like, been ah, sweet. Here. And like <clears throat> the the posturing and the propaganda against this dude is absolutely insane. So right now I'm on the AmazonPost.com, and it's Chevron's views and opinions on the Ecuador lawsuit. The article doesn't even have an author. <clears throat> it's just. Chevron Corp copyright 2021. Um, the very last paragraph of it just paints Chevron and this super rosy, like picturesque type, just a family company here leading the world in energy. What do they say? Chevron Corporation is the world's leading integrated in energy company. As though it's subsidiaries that conduct business worldwide, the company is involved in virtually every facet of the industry. Industry. Chevron explores, for, produces, and transports crude oil, natural gas, refines markets, and distributes transportation, fuels, and lubricants. Manufactures and sells petrochemicals and additives, generates power, and produces geothermal energy, and develops and deploys technologies that enhance business value in every aspect of the company's operations. Sounds like their article. Just a stand-up company. Two thousand makes Steve Donziger sound like he's a fraudulent, like Rico piece of trash committing extortion, money laundering, and wire fraud. When that's not the case at all. That's just what Chevron is trying to paint him as. And meanwhile, during all of this, Chevron just packed up and left, and then so they don't owe anything. Bye. Yeah. Peace. Everybody knows though. Like it's. This is this is another one of those stories that you're not seeing, you know, uh, when it comes to the corporate media. Why? Because outside of pharmaceutical, uh, what's the next biggest industry that you see on many cable news ads, Corey? Is it petrochemicals? Oh. It's yeah, it's chemicals and pharmaceuticals, like you said. Yeah. So new so media is reporting on this. I, I, I give a lot of credit to Matt Taibbi and Katie Halper. They've they've really stuck with this story. Um, yeah, Matt Taibbi, Katie Halpa, Crystal Ball, Sagar and Jenny, Glenn Greenwald, Max, uh, who's another one? There's a couple other of them who have like stuck with this because mainstream media literally took this big investigative journalist type story and then just shelved it <laughs> to talk about how important Pfizer is. Don Fed Lemon, drug- Don Lemon tonight, brought to you by Chevron. 
Yeah, <laughs> and Pfizer. Federal. <laughs> this is in 2014. A federal judge ruled. A federal judge ruled. This is on Washington Post. A federal judge ruled. A fed. Bleh, a federal judge ruled Tuesday that a multi-billion-dollar judgment against Chevron and Ecuador court was the product of a fraud and racketeering effort orchestrated by a New York-based lawyer, and that the judgment could not be enforced. So the reason why that even happened, and the reason why they're even able to be getting away with that, is was because Kaplan passed this thing on to Laura Preska, a judge that judge from the Southern District of Detroit of uh, New York, and. Preska's conduct has been a focal point of the trial ever since she was against local rules, handpicked to oversee the case by Judge Louis A. Kaplan, the Chevron-invested former tobacco industry lawyer who had blocked the judgment against the company and launched the contempt case. <laughs> Preska denied Donzinger's request for a jury trial, barred Zoom access to the trial for the public, and consistently ruled against Donzinger's legal team. She refused to hear from Donziger's lawyers about why he had drawn the contempt charge by not turning over his laptop, and at one point sat and read newspapers while presiding over the proceedings. Critics pointed to Preska's seat on the advisory board of the New York chapter of the Federal Society. Yeah, I read that part. But yeah, these judges are just, their pockets are stuffed to the brim with money from Chevron. And that actually and brings up just something we're stack it up against him. That actually brings up something we're probably going to talk about next week when we've got uh, well over a hundred uh, uh, congresspeople that have basically been busted for insider trading at this point. I mean, that, that's that's a really crude way to say it, but it's more fun to say it that way, isn't it? Yeah, you know, they, they basically were. They're all making deals based on rulings and stuff that they were making. You know, why should, why, yeah, why should judges be any different? Uh, so yeah, we're going to, I think we're going to dive quite a bit into that, uh, next week, Corey, but before we get to your monologue, uh, we got to We got to We got to walk through a little bit of how woke is too woke. We haven't done one of these in a little bit. Mm-mm. And we do have to talk about Russia a little bit. Oh, we forgot about Russia. Let's do, let's do how, how woke is too woke first. Cause it's funny. We can uh, save Russia for next week. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Cause, either, cause they're not going to invade. Everyone's talking about they're invading. They're just chilling. We know they're not going to invade. I'd put money on it. I'm saying it right now, Corey Welsh. Russia is not going 16. to invade Ukraine. Nope. You ever play Risk? <laughs> you don't attack. You don't attack another country when they have three armies and you have one. <laughs> you might you be able to defend, when, but you can't attack. You might, exactly. <laughs> you can't. You know, like when they, you don't put a hundred thousand people on the border of a country that has three hundred thousand soldiers in an attempt to attack. And I guess I'll just say it really quick. You know, they they're. Both Putin and Biden are walking away smiling from this. They both got what they wanted. So we'll go into that next week. I like a it. Cliffhanger for you. How woke is too woke, Corey? An article from theconversation.com by a Darcy Vandergrift, a professor of sociology at Drake University, uh, decided to, I guess you could uh, call this taking on the grandstanding angle. Uh Darcy Vandergrift is essentially blaming uh, school shootings and mass shootings on toxic masculinity. My favorite topic, because is that your favorite topic? Because because yeah, because I think it's bullshit. Because here's the thing: when people talk about toxic masculinity, here's what I've noticed, and I'm not saying that. 
somebody who doesn't have experience with masculinity coursing through their veins has never talked about it. But normally when I see it, it's either women or cuck men. That's generally what I see. The idea of toxic masculinity to me is fucking ridiculous. You often hear about it when you when you hear when you hear terms like rape culture, uh, which I don't think is a real thing because that kind of implies that our culture is based around rape, which is very strange. Uh, we're not cavemen, although some would have you believe that we are. Uh, and so, I often have an issue. This is just me, and I'm willing to have a conversation about this with anybody who wants to have it. I often think masculinity is portrayed as a simply negative thing. And what I will say is this. Who do you see working on your uh, electrical poles when the power goes out and there's a storm going through? It's not to say that women can't do that job, but often it's men, right? Uh, Because they're dumb enough to do (laughs) <laughs> landscaping jobs, with- <laughs> loggers, welders, dangerous jobs typically done by men. Again, I will say it again. Doesn't mean women can't do those jobs and don't do those jobs. It's not what I'm saying. You do see them on occasion, right? But the vast majority of this is masculine men doing these jobs. So you can't mm-hmm. say that masculinity has no place and is simply considered toxic but I, i'll get into this article real quick Corey, and then we'll talk yeah, and about I'll, it a little and bit while you're while you're looking that up real quick I'll, I'll say real quick that i think that people like to conflate uh masculinity with toxic masculinity which i, I would argue that they're two completely different things yeah and we'll, we'll we'll certainly discuss it uh so darcy vandergrift from drake university i'm not going to talk too much about the beginning of her article because basically what she what she says is that Often these mass shootings are blamed on, quote-unquote, mental health. She disagrees with that, saying it's an overly simplistic way to look at why these shootings take place. How do you simplify mental health? Mental health, as a whole, is an incredibly complex thing. She should know this. She's a sociology professor. I mean, she's not a, as far as I, as far as I've been able to tell, she's not uh, a psychologist. Maybe she is. Darcy, if you are, we'd be happy to talk to you on the show here. Uh, but she ain't going to talk to you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I got too much toxic masculinity running through my veins, I guess. Uh, so I'll just take a little bit of this article. That, she you says got that giant uvula hanging, <laughs> uvula hanging between your legs. <laughs> she says, after Sandy your uterus Hook, fell out, <laughs> after Sandy Hook. She says, after Sandy Hook, too many explanations describe these horrible events, referring to school shootings, as peculiar co- pe- peculiar to a deranged individual or due to sole factor of mental illness. An overly simplistic explanation of shooters as mentally ill is used as a diversionary political tactic against gun reform. That's uh, so gross. And I guess there's some truth to that, right? Like, a lot you know, that that's what a lot of people will say to basically just shut down the idea of talking about gun reform. So there is yeah, some truth you know, to what she's saying. Trope, yeah, when you have a trope like Donald Trump saying it's a mental health issue yeah, yeah. and then not doing anything about it, I get that. But like, 
She right here, she goes, this explanation is both terrifying because the actions of someone like this killer can come out of nowhere and comforting in that we do not hold any obligation or responsibility. We hold all the obligation and responsibility to take care of mental health and the people in our country. As men, I think we can kind of like actually have a little bit of say in this when we talk about the mental health of people in our country. No, can't do that. Uh, These shooters have common factors, she says. They were all men. In the case of Sandy Hook, Charleston, and Des Moines, of course, she only gives three examples, uh, but they are all men. She says the shooters were white. And, yep, majority of them are white, but not all, right? We just we just had uh, an incident uh, where um, the, 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 the guy who drove the, the, the thing through the, the car through the parade, why have I yeah. already blanked on that? Yeah, the, and uh, what was that? It was in... Was it Wakusha or something? Yes, like that? Wa- Wakusha. Yeah, yeah. Wakusha. Uh, that was a black man. Pulse nightclub was a uh, Middle Eastern man. Um, they're apparently experienced. They've apparently experienced a life of intense emotional pain, mental health. I'm going to do a tally here. Mental health. Uh, they demonstrated signs of traumatic life. Mental health. Mental health. Like uh, uh, like severe social isolation. Mental health. School or job fail- failure or family estrangement, mental health, four. Mental health. Uh, but these shootings are symptoms of a deeper public health crisis that we are not talking about. Is that S- mental health? <laughs> Scholarship on mass, on mass shootings demonstrates a pattern of school shooters, in particular, in which the predominant understanding of masculinity combines with the cultural script of spectacular mass violence. Basically, what she's saying is, at least it sounds like to me, uh, is that masculinity leads to violence. Now, fundamentally, we know that in some cases that's true. It's like masculinity is, is, is like a gun, right, Corey? Masculinity is a tool. You can use a tool for good or you can use a tool for yeah, bad. A biological tool that's ingrained in us men from the very beginning when we are hunters and gatherers. As sociologist Michael Kimmel found, most school suicide murder shootings after 1990 have been carried out by white boys. Instead of exhibiting resilience or asking for help, some white boys who are bullied under threat of dis, uh, disrespected turn to aggression and revenge as, as a, a toxic salve. Oh my God. Can I break that down real quick? Go ahead. Um, let's talk about how mental health is a stigma and how we're not listening to people when they have cries for help. And it's, it goes back to mental health. Yeah, but no, this is just white boys, Corey. <laughs> it's just just white boys who are using their masculinity as a toxic cell. It's like she's so close that she would be such a phenomenal <laughs> horseshoe player. Yeah. <laughs> she is kind of close, but she just has. To, that's what I'm saying. It's like 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 it's like yeah, uh, it's like just, being opportunistic and jumping on the masculinity train. Like what, she, what everything she's saying basically ap- applies to mental health, but instead of saying mental health, she wants to say masculinity is the problem. Right. It's like it's like a wall is painted a certain color, and instead of putting a primer, she's just painting over a different color to where the wall, the previous color, is bleeding through throughout this whole entire article. To where when she says things like, uh, where was it? Um, instead of asking for help, some white boys who are bullied, under threat, or disrespected turn to an aggression of revenge or toxic or assault. And she's blaming toxic masculinity. But toxic masculinity is basically an offshoot of 
the very idea of mental, mental health. health. Yeah. Uh, and she goes on to say, this way of imagining manhood amplifies the worst messages our culture offers that men should not demonstrate pain and vulnerability or seek help. I have an issue with this because we, we you and I, Corey, talked a little bit before the show about like when I was in high school and when I was in high school, it was right during where these mass shootings started to pick up, right? We're talking, I graduated in 2006. We're talking seven years after Columbine, right? Uh, right. We were talking about how I had a group of friends. All the time, we would be vulnerable with each other. I had a group of friends that, you know, if we were having problems with girls or we were having issues with, with a guy at school, we would have these discussions with each other. We would, yeah, we would cry. Like, this idea that, like, men are portrayed as this this unfeeling part of our of the human species that that never lets their emotions out it's 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 absolute fucking bullshit it's bullshit i see it all the time men often express their feelings they but they may express them in ways that maybe a woman may not understand you know like like um Say, for example, I go downstairs, I'm angry about something, and I go downstairs. Pool balls around. And no, and oh, I decide to put my boxing gloves on and hit the heavy bag, right? That's me taking out that masculinity in an aggressive way on an inanimate object. Toxic masculinity. And and I could and I could tell you right now, if I was doing that, if I came in and I didn't say anything, if like if I was pissed off about something or or I was I was worried about something and I can't I walked in the house and I walked straight down the stairs and started punching the bag, my girlfriend immediately would know, hey, something's wrong, and she would come talk to me. You know what I'm saying? Like right. it's it's it, it, it this idea that men uh, toxic masculinity is caused by men not feeling like they have uh I, like they can reach out. I just I don't I'm sorry I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Right, and that kind of goes to what I was saying uh, when, like, when, like, when I was talking about how there is a difference between toxic masculinity and regular masculinity. Um, I guess toxic masculinity is just slapping a girl on the ass, and then someone saying, "Oh, boys will be boys." Misogyny is what you're talking about. Yeah, misog. Yeah, I mean, there, like, there are things that are rooted in our society about men that it's like it's almost like they get a pass because they're a man and stuff and i get that but she's or like what she's doing is like she can't see the forest to the trees she's like trying to oversimplify a situation that isn't simplified based on mental she's trying to simplify the mental health of men men where it is a problem in our society we white men in particular by the way yeah we talked about it in the uh, episode when we really dove into the Oxford thing where we talked about um, the fact that something is leading people to the point that they feel like that nobody can hear them, that they have that the only way they can be heard is causing great pain and violence. Um, well, the other but, thing, let me cut you off there, Corey. The other thing that's silly about that is that, it, it, that this is all, she's talking about white men. I understand why she's talking about white men because, yes, white men are the ones committing these crimes. However, this just goes to show that this woman and anybody else who talks about toxic, toxic masculinity as it relates to white men in this way has spent absolutely zero time in black culture. Okay? Because y- you you often hear uh, uh, spokesmen for the black community coming out and saying that black boys have 
this have the same issues. They don't feel like they can uh, come out and 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 state their emotions uh, for for fear of being ridiculed by others in the black community. You know, you often hear about how the black community can often be considered very homophobic. You know, it, it's you know, gay black men for a long it's it's getting better, but gay black men for a long time didn't feel like they could come out in in the black community because that was seen as weakness. So it's it's not as it relates to school shootings, I under kind of understand her point, but as it relates to toxic masculinity, it's not it's not just white men. If if right. you're if you're going to make that blanket statement about white men, you have to make that that blanket statement about about all men. Yeah. Yeah, it's she's I guess she's looking like from the outside looking in and trying to make like I don't know what the point of this article is. I feel like it almost might be It's grandstanding. Yeah, grandstanding. Like trying to come from a like a hot take type angle. But it's ultimately like she keeps talking about how it's it's toxic masculinity, but then her argument just keeps going back to mental health. Um, I'm trying to find the the other part I was talking about. Um, yeah, public health interventions against violence rightfully advocate tighter gun control and gender conscious mental health care for white men. We can think of non defensively about how dominant constructions of white masculinity in everyday life provides fodder for feelings of entitlement present. And suicide mass shootings. While talking about how entitlement, racism, and violence contaminate masculinity is a tough conversation, continuing to endure the consequences is even worse. Um, that's actually not the part I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I man, I had all this stuff highlighted, and then my computer took that shit. But she's literally. Over, like, she's literally taking mental health and just, I guess, trying to rebrand it with toxic masculinity, which isn't something we need in our society when we talk about the mental health of people. Because, like, sure, uh, men act out and shoot people, and we're calling it toxic masculinity. But at the same time, when you talk about suicide rates, suicide rates with teen girls is higher than it is men. So violence is still being created, just men are acting out. Uh, outwardly and women are acting out inwardly there still is a mental health issue and she just has this hot take that is just she just it's almost like it's just clickbait and it's it's really easy to say actually it, it doesn't make any sense for 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 a woman to think that she can get into the heads of what it's like is what it's like to be a man just like a man should never get in try to get into the heads heads of what it's like to be a woman i i don't know what that's like right you know it, it's often you know uh we we talk about we talk about anything like i know what it's like to be a white dude like that's what i know i know i know what that feels like i don't know what it feels like to be anything else and right. that's not to say i can't have an opinion and that's not to say that she can't have an opinion uh but Okay, here's the line I was looking for. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Toxic toxic masculinity emerges to put forth the idea that when white men are hurting, they're entitled to act violently against others to cover the feelings of vulnerability. Sounds like mental health. Yeah. Sure does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like literally like all of the things she's saying are tying back to mental health. Buried problems, buried people. Like, (laughs) it's... You're just... It's like, why... 
why are you creating a dividing line against men in this issue? Where it's like, I get it. Men are the ones doing this. But like you said, in where you're so close to the target that men are hurting. It's a mental health thing. What is causing the idea that tax that what is causing the actual topic of toxic masculinity where men think that they have to be tough and act like this? It's mental health. There's something going on in these people's heads that they feel like that they have to keep up with the Joneses. So their mental their mental health is playing with their masculinity. Like it's it's exactly. like I said before, masculinity is a tool. Just like a hammer, I can pound a nail and build a house, or I can bash somebody's head in with the exact same tool. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it sucks. It sucks to see people just taking hot takes and trying to oversimplify something that's already being oversimplified when the argument against the oversimplified argument of the gun is people diving deep into, like, well, yeah, this is mental health. And she's taking a complex issue and trying to re-oversimplify it and repackage it in a different argument going, well, it's not mental health. That's a scapegoat. It's toxic masculinity. As if that's not also a scapegoat. And and, and the other interesting thing, too. Right. And where that that is literally like a subset of mental health. It's a blanket statement, though, Corey. And the other thing I think is interesting about this is... When it's talked about this, when no, it's no more of a blanket statement than saying it's toxic yeah, masculinity. When it's toxic masculinity or mental health or a gun issue, it's always this this argument over what the problem is that keeps us so far away from figuring out what the actual problem is and finding a solution. It's so much easier to sit there and complain about the problem, complain about the problem, complain about the problem than it is to find a solution. Finding a solution is hard. So let's just it let's is. just keep kicking around what the problem is over and over again. It's 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 like with so many things in our society. We'll just keep kicking around the problem. It's Democrats, it's Republicans, it's conservatives, it's QAnon, it's Joe Biden, it's Donald Trump. Just keep kicking around the problems over and over and over again instead of actually going okay this is what it actually looks like the problem is it's a nuanced combination of this 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 and this let's figure out solutions for this 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 and this solutions are hard problems are easy right now if this was an article about toxic masculinity being an issue of how men are supposed to be tough and like how like there is a thing that like like men deal with of the fact that like overall we're not supposed we're supposed to be tough not supposed to talk about emotions and things like that then that's fine but trying to correlate it with the gun violence when you're literally just trying to reinvent the wheel so to speak it's almost just like it's redundant like your argument is literally about the mental health of men but instead of saying it's mental health you're calling it toxic masculinity which, you know, like we said, we were going to talk about that a little bit after the article. And toxic masculinity is a bit of an issue. You know, like the like the idea that like every man is supposed to be tougher than the next. You know, ever growing up, everyone's flexing their muscles, trying to show whose muscles the biggest and stuff like My that. My dad could beat up your really dad. Matter. Yeah. Yeah, that silly stuff doesn't matter. And, and in that case, she is right. You know, like toxic manula- like toxic ma- toxic masculinity is a problem, but it's literally a subset of the bigger issue of mental health. 
because mental health affects women and men. When you look up numbers of how many women are on antidepressants versus how many men, it's probably right around the same, if not more. Suicide rates with teen women is way higher than it is with teen men. It's, it's mental health. It's not toxic masculinity. If these men saw a therapist, that therapist isn't going to be like, oh, well, I'll tell you what, uh, read, watch Lifetime a little bit, you know. Well, I think her, her, I think her argument football. would be, I think her argument would be that a white man is far less likely to actually go see a therapist in the first place. Which is fair. That's actually a fair argument because then that gets back to mental health being a stigma, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, it's it's it just seems like this is a we talk about dog whistles for racists and dog whistles for the right. This looks like a dog whistle for feminism. Yeah. Good Am I talk. To say that. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Well, no, I, I think you are because. I'm not inherently saying feminism is bad. My wife is a feminist. You know, I would consider myself a feminist. I think women should deserve every equal opportunity that a man get that a man gets. Well, dude, I- I've said this. No, I'm t- we're said- talking to someone who supported Tulsi, a woman for yeah. president. I've said, and I did too. And and, and I, I I say this often. It, it's just like with anything else, man. There are good feminists and there are bad feminists. There, you know, there's the feminist that you know just that, that fights for equal rights and you know just wa- you know wants equal pay. And it just wants to be treated the same as men in society. Those are the good feminists. The bad feminists are the ones that want to make men the enemy. You know, that's make men the enemy, and yeah. not wear uh, tampons when they when they're on their period. Yeah, good feminists and bad feminists. I mean, it's just like anything else. <laughs> when it's like <laughs> free bleeding, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just get to your monologue. <laughs> that is my monologue. Free bleeding. I don't know. <laughs> when I cut my finger and I'm bleeding everywhere, like everyone's like, "Ew, blood!" <laughs> I think it goes the same when it goes to that. All right, my monologue. You ready? I am clear ready. My throat real quick. Huh? Oh yeah, clear that throat. Oh, he even he even used the cough button. Look at this guy, professional. I'm trying, man. I'm trying to really, you know, we're trying to be a professional operation, Dan. All right. So I don't have a title for this, and I had a couple, but I just forgot to write it down at the top. so i don't have one but here goes nothing little little sip of the whiskey sip of the whiskey there's a trope that gets thrown around and i'm sure you've heard it it goes history repeats itself it's not too philosophical philosophical or much thought needed to break it down or decipher it just a short blunt statement that says exactly what it means But how true is it? If I were to tell you the story of a factory where 123 women died due to a fire from lack of safety protocols and negligence from the management who literally chained doors shut because some employees were taking smoke breaks on 12-hour shifts, what year would you think it was? If I were to tell you the story of a factory where 12-hour shift workers aware of a terrible storm that was headed their way had had them so terrified that they wanted to go home to their families only to be confronted by management threatening termination of employment if they left a factory that has recently been fined tens of thousands of dollars due to safety violations what year would you think it was the storm story ultimately leads to the factory collapsing on these employees killing eight trapping dozens more if I said, adjusted for inflation purposes, the wages between these two jobs were comparable, would you think that two happened in the same time period of each other? A year? 
two or five, a decade, a century. The story of the fire is the tragedy term, the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire. And it happened in 1911, where on the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors of the Ash Building in New York, there was a fire. And this wasn't any ordinary fire. The air was full of cotton particles. You see, this factory made women's blouses, hence the name Shirtwaist. This led to basically flash cotton in the air, the stuff you and I breathe. With no chance of escape due to the aforementioned exits chained, the workers had the choice of jumping out the windows or burning the death the death inside and out. Both options were chosen. While some burned suffocating on the literal fire, some chose the quicker method of plunging to their deaths. The storm story happened in 2021. The devastation still too fresh to have a marketable name for it, yet... These poor souls were working long-hour night shifts who were callously told to get back to work or lose their jobs when they showed concern about the approaching storm that was on a collision course with their factory bringing death and sadness along with it. When Eliza Johnson asked, Even with the weather like this, you're going to fire me? Yes, was the cavalier response from management who after went as far as taking roll call to find out who left work early. To get a little technical on you, According to Glassdoor.com, Mayfield Consumer Products, had only, which is the candle factory, had only wages starting around $10 or $11. That breaks down to roughly $24,000 annual salary, or approximately $400 a week after taxes. The Triangle Shirtwaist factory workers were taking home $7 to $12 a week. That amounts to roughly $340 a week, and rounded up to $18,000 a year. I'll add in 1911, there was an income tax, so that was all they took home. Or they took it all home. A hundred years later, and workers making only $60 more than their counterparts all that time ago. Is the standard of living better? Of course. We've come a long way. Anyone that is blind to that is doing so intentionally. I assure you. But companies with disregard for its employees putting profit over people seems to be the standard based on historical precedents. Mayfield wasn't the only factory to threaten workers. Another factory in the site's of the tornado's deadly rage was the Amazon factory. Reports say they were following the same mantra and telling peasants to get back to toiling or lose their livelihood. Six lives were lost at that factory. Larry Verdon, a driver for Amazon's a driver for Amazon, his last text to his girlfriend was Amazon won't let us leave. A response of I love you from his girlfriend will forever be left unread. So where do we go from here? How do we avoid these tragedies that have continued to happen year after year that could be curbed if it wasn't for negligence and greed? Institutions like Occupational Safety and Health Administration and the National Labor Relations Board are supposed to be stopgates to avoid these type of catastrophes. Is more government the, is more government the answer? <clears throat> right now in 2021, we're seeing a huge influx of support for unions, a popularity unions haven't seen in decades. Will corporate greed coupled with labor shortage lead to more unions across the country? In an at-will state like Kentucky, the government bureaucracy, both federally <clears throat> and locally, has let the worker man down. Maybe it's time for the workers to unite and look out for themselves, since no one else is. And it's insane to me that when you look at history, right before the giant workers' movement where unions became big in the 1920s and stuff, um you see tragedy after tragedy and the workers just literally getting fed up due to deaths and people dying that they have no choice, but to look out for themselves 
and then unions become more popular and more of a mainstay. I think it's pretty simple. I mean, we've already we we, we talked about was it the the Arkansas uh, Amazon uh, distribution center was it last week or the week before? You know about how Amazon is going to do whatever it can to stop uh, people from unionizing. They get to have a new vote because it was bullshit. Um, like th- those are the things. Th- like th- that's the persistence that we need because I do often feel like workers. They just get burnt out on trying to uh, improve their rights. And that's not an indictment on them, right? Like, these are people that go to work, they bust their ass every day to feed their families, you know, uh, get health insurance, you know, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, they're just, they're just tired. And I, I think if, if they could just have a, a little bit more persistence, and really actually take back the power that they're always, you know, perceived to have, then that's that's what's really going to fix this thing. Like, so, and, and honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with things, this may not sound like it applies, but I'll explain. It, it honestly has a lot to do with things like, you know, having uh, medic- uh, something like Medicare for all, right? I wish I could remember who it was, but I, I, I heard, you might have heard it too, Corey. Um, let's see, I think it might have been on Breaking Points yesterday. They had a, a populist uh, Democrat who was, who was running for uh, Congress in, in Missouri. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm talk- I wish I could if you look up his name, Corey, if you can find it. I'm, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name. Um, but uh, he had told a story about how when he was a kid, his dad uh was uh, he, he said he was the most, most brilliant man that he had ever met was his father. You know, he had dreams of starting a business and all of these great things, but he didn't know how to do it because he had a, a young daughter that needed insulin. And so Lucas Kuntz. Lucas Kuntz. Yeah, he he had he had a he had a, he had a daughter with health issues that needed medicine and he needed and the only way to do it was to have this job that provided healthcare. So he literally had healthcare. I don't remember, I don't remember if it was insulin or what it was, but it was it, it was some sort of medication. He had a, a sick daughter that needed expensive medication. And the only way to provide it was to have this job so that he could have this healthcare. Yep. So he was literally imprisoned in a shitty job because he needed healthcare to keep his daughter alive. Yeah, he couldn't explore the American dream or pursue the American dream. Lucas Kuntz is that's right. Thank you for looking that up. Yep, I could not remember. He was uh he was shackled by the exorbitant amount of price when it comes to the medical care that our country costs people. So th- that he it was. Goes li- back, you see that thing recently with uh, when you talk about the med- the the medical health system. Do you see uh, Jen Psaki recently scoff at a journalist who asked her when it came to testing for COVID, and they said well, can't we get more people tested? You know, can we get people tested at home or whatever? And she went, oh, what are we supposed to do? Oh, oh dude. Send tests, send tests to everyone at home? And then and then the lady goes, well, yeah, that's what they're doing in every other country. No, no, no. no. And here, here's, here was actually my first thought when I heard that. I'll actually, go, I'll, I'll do you one better. First thing I thought was, you, 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 you sent checks. Like, you, you sent checks to everyone multiple times. 
You try right. trying to tell me you can't mail COVID tests to everybody. Right. Like and even the libertarian, the reason roundtable brought this up and they said, Okay, we talk about masks being good, but these shitty hospital masks that everyone are wearing that are designed just to cover big amounts of spit when they're doing surgery. Yeah. Is what we're giving to everybody that aren't really doing shit. But it's proven that N95 masks and KN95 masks work. Why the fuck is it the government just sending those to people to use? They have our addresses. I think it's really easy. I think you go back and you see everybody that got a check, right? Everybody that got one of the stimulus checks, whether it was one of the Trump checks. I, d- I didn't even remember. I can't. Did, Bi- Bi- did Biden send a check? He didn't actually send one. Did, I can't even remember anymore. He promised, what was it, 2000 He ended up sending 1400 that, I think. That's what. So I don't even remember. But either way, there's been like two, three checks, whatever the hell it's been, been sent out. Everybody who's got who got a check, you send five test kits to every single person. So what does that mean? What that means is if you are a family, that if you are a married couple with children, you're going to have, there's two tests in every kit. You're going to have 20 tests in that household. If you're a single mother or a single parent, you're still going to have 10 tests in that household. If you're right. if you're like Marissa and I, we don't have children. She and I are going to have 20 tests between us. If we have to, we can hand them out if somebody needs one. You know what I'm saying? Like, There's just no reason yeah. that these tests can't be if you can send checks, you can send tests. It's that simple. Oh, what are we supposed <laughs> to do? Just send these tests to everyone? The you, 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 like, you've heard that a lot of it has to do with the, with the bullshit FDA approval, right? There's actually a company in, I think it's in California. I could be wrong about that. There's a company who's making tests in the United States, but since it's not FDA approved, they can't sell it in America. But guess what? They are currently selling these tests in Europe. An American company making stupid. tests here you I can't sell them why here. The FDA sandbagging on so much shit. Maybe it's because like seventy percent. What? Oh shit! I don't know the actual percentage, but like an uncomfortable amount of the FDA is funded by these private pharmaceutical companies. Why do you think only one at-home test is approved by the FDA? Because can't imagine. I'll tell you why, Dan. It's because an uncomfortable amount of the FDA is funded by these private companies. Oh, way to go full circle in about 30, 30 35 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> oh, man, Dan, this episode's about to be two hours. Uh, hour 45. Give or take. Something like that. Either way, we can, we can want, kill it I here. want you to cut out every dead space. I won't do that. The entire thing. <laughs> I'm not paid enough for I that. Know, I'm just teasing. We're on uh, a shoestring budget here. Yes. Yeah, so, so next week, next week we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have a lot. I think on the on the Russia Ukraine situation and what with that. Yep. I don't even remember what the other thing we said was, but um, uh, all of our politicians being just corrupt assholes. Ah, yeah. Doing insider trading. It's a free market, right, Nancy Pelosi? There's your preview. Yeah. Uh, until then. Yeah, she called it a free market. They're like, well, shouldn't public servants not uh, invest in the stock market because they help dictate policy? Well, it's, well, a, it's free a free market. It, it's like, what, how, like, She's like 80-some years old, and she's sounding like Joe Biden now. Like, goddamn, like, she may have been a rock star 30 years ago when she first got into Congress, but now she's so old that when she talks, she's up. It's... it's uh, uh, it's it's uh um 
I will you say know, this. I think she's a little bit. Is. I think she's a little bit ahead of Joe. I think she's got a little more mental yeah. capacity left. Joe set the bar. Joe sets the bar really low. <laughs> but she didn't even know what the NDAA was. She recently she was like, uh, "What you say? The defense, whatever it is." And it's like <laughs> you know, you, know, you know, know what it's called. And you just gave them seven hundred and twenty billion dollars. You know, you know the thing, <laughs> Jack. <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> All right. Until yeah. that, until that, uh, this is a bedlib conservative. He's been Corey Walsh. Real, real quick. Yeah. Oh, real yeah. Your quick. son's an anti masker. Yeah. My son is an anti masker, Dan. I don't know what to do about it. I was ready to end the show you too know. early. I try to put the mask on him. He freaks out, pushes it away, yells about no, tries to tell me that he doesn't want to wear it. Then he shouldn't, he shouldn't get medical treatment, Corey. I don't know, that's what if I'm he saying. refuses to wear a mask, he shouldn't get medical treatment. That's what I told him, but he just goes, no, <laughs> and freaks out and throws a temper tantrum. Granted, he is only two, but. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. No medical treatment you if wear you won't mask. wear a mask. My son is an anti-masker. What do I do? Should I ask Reddit? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if anybody will actually ask you how old he is. <laughs> I don't know what to do. My son is an anti-masker. No matter how hard I try, I try to make him wear his mask, and he just refuses. He just won't he physically wear fights me. <laughs> and says no with multiple O's. <laughs> he says no. <laughs> Face no. <laughs> um. Go ahead and look up uh, Libservative on all your social media platforms. We are on Facebook at Libservative. We are on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Pod. We have a blog where you can find our transcripts for all of our monologues. At I owe you a couple of those, by the way, I think. I think you owe me one. All right. Say it Let's again because I, I rudely interrupt. <clears throat> Podcast at WordPress.com. Um, if you want to email us directly, it's libservative at gmail.com. Libservative pod. Goddamn libservative pod at gmail.com. Unless you're a fucking spammer, then hit us up on libservative marketing at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, follow, and share the page. If you like what you hear and you hear something interesting on the show, you don't have to tell a friend to listen to the show. Just tell them where you heard it. Give us that much, please. Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, from the Libservative Podcast. He's Dan Griffin. And he's Corey Walsh. And we are out of here.